0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Smart Pizza Marketing Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is episode number 286, and my guest today is Michael from Fornino in Brooklyn, Pizzeria Restaurant. We talk a lot about what it's going to look like for his restaurant in NYC opening up as he reopens this week. We also touch on dough, uh, employees, the whole process of running a restaurant. This is a really interesting conversation with Michael. He's been a part of a lot of the pizza guys that you know of, uh, like Vincent Rotolo from Good Pie, all have kind of worked with Michael or for Michael in the past. So he's kind of like he calls himself the OG of pizza not of pizza, but of Neapolitan-style pizza in Brooklyn. So we talk a lot about that as well. But this is a great episode. Curious from a, of a chef's perspective of how he's looking at his restaurant reopening and why he closed in the first place, even though he could have stayed open and done takeout and delivery. But he, he goes into a little bit of the reasoning behind why he decided to close and why he's deciding to reopening and how he's going about doing that. This is a great episode if you want to kind of if you're in the midst of reopening or if you are curious about dough. We talk a lot about dough recipes. I'm fascinated by dough right now and experimenting with your dough and really taking this time that you have if you do have any time to you know, implement or change or adjust those things that you maybe have thought about changing in the past and didn't really have the time or energy to do so or maybe you didn't have the backing from your customers. I think now is a great time to do all of those things. But before we get into today's podcast episode, I do have to say thank you to a few of our sponsors for uh, supporting us and allowing us to do this podcast for you free every single week. Uh, Forza Forni, if you're looking for an oven or a mixer or you're in the market for a mobile wood-fired oven, go check out ForzaForni.com. They work with some of the most respected names in the oven uh, category, such as Pavesi, Acunto, Castelli, all of those brands. Plus, the guys over there are fantastic. Peter, the owner, uh, all of the guys give great customer service, they really truly try to help you be successful in your pizzeria even after you purchase an oven. There's been many cases where I've heard of Peter, the owner, personally going and flying to somebody's restaurant where they just installed an oven to make sure that everything was up and okay and if they needed any assistance or they needed any advice before they got into operation. So if you're in the market for an oven, do me a favor, Go check out forzaforny.com and let them know you heard about them on the Smart Pizza Marketing Podcast. Also, Slice. If you're looking for, right now, Slice has been doing a really great job with Pizza vs. Pandemic and helping Scott, who runs that, find pizzerias in the local market. So if you are in the market for an online ordering platform, it's perfect for that small independent pizzeria and it gives you the opportunity to have some online ordering especially during these times right now where you really want to push people online to order from you. Uh, The founder, CEO, Allure, who I've had on the podcast before, well, not on the podcast, but we've talked to him on our live show on Facebook, is a pizza guy. So he's initially set out to help independent pizzerias, and he wants them to succeed. So if you want some more information on how you can get started with Slice, go to slicelife.com slash owners. They have a whole blog over there, a ton of free information for you as well. Again, that's slicelife.com slash owners. And thank you to Slice and Forza Forney for helping us here on the podcast. All right, let's get into today's podcast episode with Michael from Fornino. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. My friend Michael from Fornino in Brooklyn is joining me on the podcast. Michael, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, taking the time I know it's crazy time. Richard. My pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, we've talked in the past, I've actually stopped into your place uh, in New York City. And, you know, a lot of people who have been on the podcast actually kind of brought you up as inspiration and people they learned from. So before we get into what's happening now, kind of can you take two seconds and give your backstory as to how you got started?
1: Well, sure, sure. Well, I've uh, I've been a chef for uh, all my life. I bought my first restaurant when I was 20. And we've gone through Italian restaurants, French restaurants. And uh, 15 years ago, we land up in pizza. We opened up Fornino in 2004. Um, so, you know, I'm considered the OG, the old god of these guys. <laughs> you know, uh, and I am older than most of them also. No, you're a young guy. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> 2004. So, uh, you know, where did you
0: open your first spot in 2004?
1: So we opened up the first one in uh, Bedford Avenue in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. You know, Bedford Avenue and North 7th Street was actually the epicenter of all of Williamsburg. And, you know, luckily we we started off with a big bang line out the door most nights. And uh, we've enjoyed the success ever since. Do you
0: still have that location?
1: No, that location we sold. uh, Actually, we sold that location uh at the proper time, because at that point Williamsburg, that that l train uh all that construction and whatnot it really became a real a big scenario and right in front of the old store they had a d- dug a hole i don't know how deep it was, but that's where the elevator went so ah. it was a complete disaster so ah. uh, it would have been it was very fortuitous moved.
0: Um, you know, Vinny from uh, Good Pie in Las Vegas mentions you a lot every time I talk to him as, you know, someone he learned a lot from in the past.
1: Vinny's, Vinny, Vinny's a great guy. You know, he was one of my managers uh, at a restaurant I had in the Lower East Side called Cronkite. His passion for pizza uh, is just, you know, un you know unequal from anybody else I know. I mean, I, I I'm sorry he's in Las Vegas because I would love to have him here in New York, but we we talk often. We yeah. talk very often, uh, and uh, he's quite a
0: character. <laughs> his one of, one of his pies that I had at his uh, good pie in Las Vegas one of the best pies I've ever had. His grandma
1: pie. He works hard. Yeah, he really he really you know he doesn't sit on his laurels. He's really always trying, trying, trying. You know, uh, his mentor out there, John Arena, you know, really keeps an eye on him. And Chris Decker, you know, these they, 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 they what they what they did in Las Vegas, I would love to do in New York. You know, they came up with this whole uh, pizza community that they really, you know, very involved with each other as opposed to backbiting. You know, they really really <laughs> together. Yeah. There are a lot of there are like if you think of Las Vegas, you know
0: that most of the names that come to mind because they are kind of always together or doing pop ups or hanging out
1: or sharing information. And New York's not like that. No, no. Well, Unfortunately, I don't. I, I Let's put it this way. If there is a community, I'm not part of it.
0: <laughs> You're an outsider
1: looking in. Yeah, you know, you know, hey, you know, I'm an older guy. You know, I'm over sixty years old, and a lot of the guys that are doing it are these young, tattooed, young bucks. You know, and I just don't fit in. You know, I'm really besides being a, a chef and an artist, I'm also a businessman. Yeah. So what made you drawn towards pizza? Did you love pizza always or
0: you're a bread I know that you do a lot with bread and a lot with like the dough part of it. So is that what got you started with the pizza aspect, like
1: selling it? Pizza's always been a passion of mine. I had a restaurant in Brooklyn called Cucina many years ago. Actually, Cucina was the first restaurant ever to be reviewed by the New York Times in Brooklyn. And we were doing pizza back then. Uh, It's not, you know, the wood-fired pizza that we've developed into now. But pizza, I mean... You know, growing up in Brooklyn, pizza has always been a passion. You know, uh, you know, Brooklyn pizza is is worldwide known. You know, it's yeah. it's famous. You know, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm like I'm obviously part of it now. Right. It is. It is pretty well known. Laquan, what
0: what style of pizza do you serve for the people listening at home?
1: Well, we we you know, we, we grew up with uh, you know the regular New York slice. Uh, when we did it at Cucina. Uh, we had a very thin, crispy pie. Uh, it was very thin, very low hydrated, uh, and it was more an appetizer type of scenario. Cucina was a pretty high-end restaurant, and you know now we're developed into a you know days-long fermentation, wood-fired. Starters and you know it
0: gets very involved. Where did you learn how to make the dough in the process? Because I know you. I've been to your kitchen. You, you have a. You are always experimenting and trying new things out. Like where? Where did you learn how to uh, manage
1: well, dough? I'm like, a chef. Yeah, you know. So I'm not just a pizza maker. I'm a chef. I'm a baker. um You know, being an executive chef, you really have to know all the, the departments in the kitchen, and all my restaurants. I've always made the bread for all the restaurants. So you know, once you understand. The science of dough, um, I think that's the, you know, you, you know, dough is percentages. You know, and once you start being able to understand the percentages and fermentation, um, really, that's, that's the key. Uh, when we opened up Fornino, Fornino is my mother's maiden name. Okay. So I always wanted to use that name. But then we had, at a certain point, we used the tagline, the art and science of pizza, because the deeper I got into opening up a restaurant with just one product, the deeper I realized that there was this dark hole that I was going down, you know, <laughs> to uh, to realize, you know, what flour, protein yeah. counts, you know, hydrations, you know, yeasts. I mean, there's 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 so many things in pizza that I don't think the average consumer has any idea. They think it's oh, you're a pizza maker. Yeah, um, come on in. The water's fine.
0: <laughs> I was I always talk about to people on the podcast like when I was growing up. You know, I worked at, so Pizzeria Regina in Boston is a pretty, you know, well-known pizzeria. It's like in the North End and uh, they have a a few more locations as they've expanded over the years. But when I was growing up, I started working there when I was 14 or 15 and learned how to make pizza. And, you know, when I told people I was a pizza maker, they looked at me like I was kind of like, it was almost like working at McDonald's. You know, it's come a long way in the 25 years since I started making pizza, like the the pizza maker title is looked at
1: more like a chef now than it was back then. Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, you know, I live in New York City and uh, at one point I was buying an apartment in the city and we went through the co-op board and, you know, everything was fine except to the last person they asked me, so what kind of business you're in? I said, Oh, and, I'm in the restaurant business. Oh, and you know, everybody's, you know, very intrigued by a chef in the restaurant business. Right. And then I said, Pizza. And the woman had obviously had this look of disdain on her face. <laughs> oh true. my God, how could we have a pizza maker living in our building? Right. The, the, the truth be told, we didn't buy the apartment because how would her uh her reaction like i didn't want to be part of them if they didn't want, i didn't want to be part of their club anymore right right no i know the club is it's it's grown
0: though like you know obviously the internet has helped people do a lot more research i think people are cooking pizza more at home now than they ever have before and like like you said the, the, there's a true art and a science behind the dough which is like the most important part of the pizza And it's yeah. there's so many different aspects of it and so many different recipes and ways to make it um It's amazing to see the community that we're in, like in like, even though, you know, like you said, New York is a kind of a a tight-lipped community across the country. A lot of people are sharing information, which is cool to see. Right,
1: right, 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 right. But
0: how do you, do you experiment a lot with your recipes now or do you kind of just, all right, I've figured it out. I'm just going to stick with that.
1: Actually, the truth be told, you know, during this uh, whole quarantine thing, I have been playing with a lot with it because I've been able to go into the restaurant all alone. And play with some uh, different scenarios of doughs and flowers, and even the tomato. I actually, ch- I'm ch- I changed the tomato uh, during this uh, quarantine. I, I, I took in about ten different types of tomatoes, and I changed this to a this nice Puglian tomato. Um, I think you know, a Puglia is warmer than Mozano and that whole scenario about Mount Vesuvius. I think we've used up all the minerals that any volcano ever spewed, how <laughs> many hundreds of years ago. Right.
0: So, do, are those tomatoes from
1: Italy? Yes, these are tomatoes from Italy.
0: Have you ever used American tomatoes?
1: Uh, no, no, You're always Italian. Um, always Italian. You know, the, personally, the types of tomatoes that I've tried from America, um, I've had problems with the uh, the sweetness um, and sometimes the way they're picked. You know they have these white caps on them. You know the the white tops on them. Um, As an aside note, I I I am a tomato grower myself. I collect tomato seeds throughout the world, and at the moment I have about two hundred tomato plants growing in my basement. Seriously? Yeah, which will will grow out. I'll grow out probably half of them. You know I'll just take the best of them. I have about twenty five varieties. Wow. Do you use them in your restaurants, or do you just kind of use them yeah, for your own use? Yeah, yeah, I use them in the restaurants. We use them in the in the family, and we never buy a can of tomatoes for a whole year uh, in our family. So, in your basement, you can probably use it. To, you can grow them all year round because you can moderate the temperature. No, restaurant. no, we just I, I can start them. You know, so this is here we are in the middle of May, the beginning of May, so they'll go out by the end of May, the first week of June. Gotcha. So you need to start them six eight weeks before they go outside. Got it. Yeah, I'm doing that myself this year, especially like, you know, the craziness with the food supply
0: and all that stuff. Who knows? It's probably the best time ever to start growing and thinking about growing your own stuff.
1: Well, I asked my wife if I could, uh I also have a house in Long Island, if I could uh, get a couple of chickens and a cow or electrify the fence and we'll be fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> my neighbor across the street has a couple of chickens in his yard. Yeah, it's great. Yeah.
0: They're pretty quiet. They're not as loud as you would think they would be. You can hear them every once in a while, but they're pretty mild. Uh, yeah.
1: So the, the rooster is the, is, the, is, the, is the problem. Right. So what's going on
0: with your business in New York? Are
1: you guys open right now? So we are open. Uh, one of my locations is open. One of my locations is closed. Um, so I have the location in Greenpoint now, uh, which is open. We had we took a short pause for a month. We closed April first, and then we opened up uh, May first. Um, there was we had a scare. One of my guys called in sick with a cough, fever, and uh, headache. I immediately went to the restaurant and uh, we closed it down. Yeah. Um, all management stayed on payroll. Whoever you know, and then I helped everybody whoever can go on to uh, uh, unemployment. And when was that? That was April 1st. So, so, so we, we took a pause for a
0: month. Okay. And you just opened back up not too long ago.
1: Yeah. 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 What's
0: it like in New York city
1: right now? Um, what's it like in New York city? I mean, what's it like in the world? I mean, it's such a surreal thing. You know, the, uh, the, the restaurants are all shuttered. The streets are empty. You know, uh, you see a lot of people walking around sometimes, you know, in Greenpoint, it's a pretty busy neighborhood. You know, uh, some people are social distance, some trees don't. You know, some people, if you say something to them, they give you a dirty look. You're not really looking to get into a fight. Right. You know, but it's, I think, you know, people, you know, uh, react to, you know, this, their nervousness in different ways and, you know, people, you know, how stress affects people, you know, everybody handles it differently.
0: Yeah. I th- I've seen, mm-hmm. I noticed in my area, so I've saw in Boston, a little bit north of Boston, and it seems like the last week, it seems to be that there's more people out than there was before, you know, you know, the all through April, it was pretty quiet, you go down the street, no matter what time it was it pretty much be nobody there. But I see, I don't know if it's just because the weather's breaking a little bit, it's getting a little warmer, or people are just been like, in the house for too long. And they're like, Alright, that's enough, I need to start getting out. But there seems to be a lot more people out than there was before.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a little bit of both. You know, Everybody's got a little bit of cabin fever, and it's getting a little nicer out, right? Um, But we have to remember, you know, this is not a joke. You know, we still have to continue with social distancing, masks. Um, In the restaurant, you know, we had, I had purchased some plexiglass petitions. Uh, You're still doing social distancing. Everybody's got a mask on. I can't afford for any one of my staff to, you know, to get sick. My staff is my family. Yeah. You know, most of them have been with me since the beginning. Um so you know it's not just an employee anymore it's family i know their children i know their mothers i know their wives right so it's very important that nobody gets sick
0: what are you doing in your business for business cuz i know you were more of a sit down dine in restaurant and you've had to obviously change cuz you can't dine in anymore so you have to do all takeout now right
1: yeah so actually you know fornino is, you know, it was always, I always did a large delivery business. Did you really? So When, when, we, when we opened up Fornino, what's different about Fornino, it's called you know, Neo Neapolitan. They can call it a lot of things. So I kind of bridged the gap. I always wanted to have my pizza deliverable. Um, in Brooklyn, growing up, you went to a pizza for a slice or you got a pizza and you went home you know the type of pizzerias that we had were you know literally pizza quote unquote joints right you know? so now to have a pizza restaurant i still wanted to be able to have the the both so you know bridging that bridging that dichotomy you know, we the, we lowered the hydration a little uh so that it could be delivered so we've always had a brisk delivery business uh and now it's just gotten a little brisker i mean to be honest with you right um, the only problem now is You know, with these third-party people, I mean, we do a tremendous amount of business with them. But my business model before was possibly thirty percent of my business was third-party people that I'm losing twenty percent to. Now, ninety percent of my business is third-party people that I'm losing twenty percent to. At that point, they just we're just spinning our wheels. You know, so we're doing a good amount of business. It's really just about keeping the staff on payroll. And feeding the community because just paying the bills. Right. You know, these third parties, how they had the audacity not to lower their interest rates during this time is just incredible. Who are you using for the third parties? We use Grubhub, Seamless, Delivery.com, Caviar, and Chow Now. Chow Now is the one that I have on my website. Yep. If you hit a button. So Chow Now, you pay a monthly fee and there's no commissions. And we deliver ourselves. you'd prefer people do that, obviously. Absolutely. Actually, we just started a campaign that if uh, you order through my website the first time you order, I'll give you the 20%.
0: Because the customer will save the money versus you having to pay the the third party. Yeah, that's when we get it. Yeah. And is that working so far?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very well, very well.
0: And let me ask you this, because I know that, so for pricing models of your pizza, right? Like if you have a, I mean, New York's not a cheap place to do business. So you have to have it priced accordingly. And is it? a different pricing structure for the consumer's thought process for dine-in versus delivery? Like, is it the same price that they'll want to pay for dine-in that they will pay for delivery?
1: They are paying the same price. Um, just remember when you're dining in a restaurant, you know, we have to also supply, you know, when, you, when we we also supplying a glass of water, ice, right. a napkin, a fork, you know, uh, you know, a police, a waiter, a, a place that's clean. Uh, and when you deliver, you put it in a box, you put it in, a, in most, you know, people, high-end people are putting a liner in that box also, you know, so that's a cost too. Yeah. Do you use anything in your box? Yeah. I, I have a corrugated, uh, I have a corrugated liner inside my box. Does that help keep it? it off the bottom. Yes. It, tremendous. So once, you know, if you put a hot pizza, let's face it, we all take the pizza out of the oven. We put it right in the box. Yeah. We cut it and we close it. So reality of you starting the steam chamber, you know, which really affects the dough. Uh, so what we do is we we cut it. It's, it's on a corrugated uh, bottom. So the bottom never lays flat on the box. So the steam is able to escape a little. And while we cut it, we'll leave it open for like 30 seconds just to get that initial steam, you know, not putting it in the box.
0: Yeah. Do you cook your pizza differently if it's a delivery versus if someone's eating it there?
1: Uh, no, no, we, we, we kind of, you know, it's a, it's a quick, uh, it's a hot oven. It's a quick bake. Um, and we normally give it a fully, you know, fully charred, fully baked pizza. Interesting. And are you, so you, when did you reopen? We opened. We opened on May first.
0: And what's it been like? Has customers been like, "Yes, we're finally. We're you're glad you're." Yeah,
1: actually, here. Uh, you know, we've been very fortunate. You know, we have a great loyal customer base. Um, we are very busy.
0: That's good. I mean, that's good because it's hard times, like you said.
1: You're just trying to like keep the doors open, and I mean, it's important, you know, to everybody out there to get open as soon as they can. You know, uh, you know with this takeout model. Uh, if you haven't didn't do much takeout before, it's really important that you adapt to it just just to be open just to be viable just to give your staff some you know just to keep the economy going in your own little restaurant you know for all the people that need i mean it's really a trickle down you know you you pay a a porter a a pizza man whatever you know they feed somebody they you know you know and it's just i mean it's really just part of the circle of you know getting the money going around a
0: little bit did you find any of your employees that maybe were on unemployment that didn't want to come back to work
1: we did have that problem with the, some of the front of the house people. Yeah. I
0: heard that a lot from people because they get unemployment so they can probably make the same as they would working and not
1: have to go to work. Well, the reality is the government became our competition, you know, so they went on unemployment and then they get that extra $600. Right. so July 31st. I mean, the reality is if you were making, you know, five, 600 bucks a week, which is really minimum wage, you know, uh, Fifteen times forty is six hundred bucks. You know, you're probably getting three hundred in in unemployment. Then plus the nine hundred, plus the six hundred, you got nine hundred. They weren't making nine hundred dollars to start with, right? You know, so why would they come? I mean, they they became the competition.
0: That's crazy. Like they would. I mean, I know they're doing it to support the employees, but then as the businesses start to reopen, which is what they want businesses to do. It's right. hard to compete with that. Like you said, would you rather work for $900 and not have to work or would you right. rather work for 700 and have to work?
1: Right. right.
0: That's right. a choice. I don't think anybody would make the choice of going to work for 700. Well, there would be a few. It's people. it's it's
1: kind of ridiculous, to be the truth. What did you do? Did you have to hire new people? Um actually, you know, being that we are so diminished in us, we have no dining room staff. Uh, we were just looking for a couple of people to help with the phones and the computers, uh, on the, uh, managerial side, uh, all my managers are working. That's good. You know, we've kept them on salary. So we just, they're, they're the ones that are doing it. What do you think? Like,
0: what you know, in the beginning of April, everybody was probably like, you know, I think March 15th for me was around March 15th where they kind of made everybody stay at home. So right. obviously people were like, all right, for three weeks, you know, April, uh, the last two or three weeks of March, first week of April, people were like, all right, Let's just ride it out, and then it gets to a point where you're like, "There's no more riding it out. This is the way it's going to be for the near foreseeable future." What do you okay. see happening in the next couple of months? Are you planning on it being like this, and you operating like you are now for the next few months?
1: Well, once the you know, once the governor, you know, Cuomo's been doing a great job here in New York. Um, actually, your governor is involved in the new consortium that he's put together. Um, once they give the okay to open up restaurants. Um, I think people do, it's, you know, there's, there's many reasons why people go to restaurants and it's only food is only one of the reasons. Right. You know, it's just being able to get out of the house, social, you know, friends, you know, it's just part of, uh, you know, a thread of society. So once these restaurants are able to open up, I'm sure we're gonna have a diminished capability to start with. Um, there's gonna have to be, you know, we've been thinking of, we have this petition company that will actually put partitions in between tables so that maybe the table next to you would have a, uh, a plexiglass partition as opposed to taking away the table that yep. we did the first time around, which makes you so austere the way you're sitting in the restaurant. Like you're one table, six feet <laughs> away from the yeah, other. It looks awkward. It looks like what happened here. Yeah. There's no comfort in it. Yeah. So we give it to, to try to get it back to whatever this new normal is going to be. Uh, we're thinking about just putting plexiglass petitions on that table so that you'll see you know, people, you know, you won't have to, you know, you try to get some sort of, uh, you know, sense of normalcy. Yeah,
0: I know I have a couple of restaurant friends in Florida and Florida just recently, I think today or this week opened up phase yeah. one, which is right. 25% capacity. Um, So they're just letting a couple people in, kind of doing the same thing, either doing the social distancing table thing, like you mentioned, or putting some sort of partition up so they can be separated. But um, like you said, people go to restaurants more for just the food. They go for the ambiance. They go for the experience. They go for, you know, what it feels like while you're at the restaurant. So it's going to be hard for us restaurant people to get that feeling back for a little bit.
1: Yeah. Well, I think this is so I have another location that has 650 seats. Oh, geez. So we have a uh, location in Brooklyn Bridge Park which we have 250 seats on the roof with beer garden tables and a bar. Is that r- outdoor lonely? seating different than the indoor seat like uh, I don't know, I haven't gotten any I haven't gotten anything but I'm sure they're still going to want the social distancing. Right. So you know we're going to have to you know cut that back real big too. Uh downstairs we have, you know, 40 picnic tables. You know, it's another 250 people down there. Wow. So I'm sure there's going to have to be something. Uh, there's going to have to be some diminished use over there, too. It's, it's, we, I have it very tight up on the roof. You know, obviously, every square inch of roof space in New York City has got to be utilized. Right. And that's seasonal, right? So when do you usually open yeah. that? Yeah. Normally, I would have opened that April 1st. Oh, so you, you're already a month behind that. It is not open now. You when know, do you plan on we, opening that one? I'm waiting for the go ahead from the city. You know, so we we are a, a tenant of New York City and you know, we had asked them about a uh, a takeout model. And they discouraged it for the fact that there's already too many people in the parks, ah. you know, that aren't social distancing. So I would just add to the dilemma So I mean, I am a partner with Brooklyn Bridge Park, so whatever you know, we 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 work it together.
0: What did they give you a timeline or no? Not even close. No, we
1: we, we're going to check back, you know, another week or so.
0: Yeah, hopefully, like you know, hopefully, we. I mean, I don't know, I don't know. There's been a lot of people asking me, and a lot of people I've talked to, and it seems like nobody really knows what's going to happen at any time.
1: You know, we we, would. You know, the reality is, we have to be very careful not to open up too fast. You know, the reality is. We have to learn from history, you know, the the, 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 last, the last virus we had, the second wave, was far, far worse than the first wave.
0: That was the Spanish flu, right? Uh, yeah, my wife, my wife keeps yeah. talking to me ago. about that, yeah. 100 years, yeah, literally almost 100 years ago, right? Wasn't it 1920? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, hopefully we come up with some, I mean, I feel like technology, if, you know, if... I feel at the hundred years, we should be able to come up with pretty quickly a, a vaccine or some mm-hmm. sort of remedy. In a hundred years, you know, the greatest country in the world can't come up with some sort of vaccine. So it doesn't, a second wave doesn't happen.
1: You can't play with mother nature. That's true.
0: You shouldn't play with those bats, right?
1: <laughs> Don't play with mother. Jeez, <laughs> oh, like, uh, like You know, they are, you know, they, they are, uh, you know, Fauci uh, said this morning that he was uh, enthusiastic and optimistic. About they would be able to get a vaccine fairly soon, so that's that's the reason why we're going to be doing it faster than the, the, the plague of 1918 Spanish right. flu. So we will get it faster, but there's just you know, certain, I, I, I'm not a scientist; I'm a cook. You know, yep. So whatever. I'm sure there's 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 plenty of people out there that would love for that vaccine because whoever comes up with it is going to make a bundle.
0: <laughs> You're a dose <dough> scientist, right? <laughs> Not a, not a, not a virus scientist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go back to dough. Cause I'm, I'm curious. I'm starting to do dough in my house. Like I, I've never really experimented with dough a lot. And I'm, do you do a natural leavened yeast or do you use yeast?
1: I um, use, we use yeast in the restaurant. Have we, you ever we, done have, a natural we, we, we leavened yeast, And we use, we actually use a yeast and then we, we use little pet fermenté, which is some of the old dough also. Okay.
0: And have so, you ever done naturally leavened pizza?
1: uh Not to the scale of the amount of dough that i need right um we we will do i mean on a good you know when we're full blow, we'll probably need a thousand pounds of dough a day Wow, but, you know I don't know the scale of getting a natural starter to to that to be around you need a Maybe huge vat. In- a bathtub, yeah,
0: you, that'd be way too much, yeah. So that's, I guess, that's not necessarily and scalable. And
1: you know, w- you know, we have, and, and, and even in those natural starters, on 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 the, on a daily basis, obviously, that's changed. So to have something that's you know consistent, you know, we have a recipe that's been consistent. It hasn't been the same recipe for the last fifteen years. I must tell you that. You know, we've always tweaking it, whether we're tweaking the hydration or the salinity. Or the or the fermentation, those those things are constantly being tweaked. You know, we've yep. uh, we, there's always you could always make it better. And when you, what kind of flour do you use? I actually mix three fl- types of flour. Okay. So they're all organic flours, and it's a, it's a proprietary mix that we do. Um, we started mixing these flours, you know, 16 years ago, and. Uh, people have told me, well, you should just change the one flour, this flour. I don't have the nerve. <laughs> when you look at your dough and you want to change something, what makes you
0: want to change it? Like what are you looking at in the dough that says, all right, we need to tweak something?
1: Um, taste, number one. Yep. Um, the salinity you know, is is very important. You, um, The fermentation is very important. Hydration, obviously. So the salinity – I bring my dough up to a little over three percent. How do you measure so like, that? What's that? How do you measure? Yeah, this everything line? is in grams. Okay. So when you, whenever you use, I, I spoke of proportions in dough before. So whenever you deal with bakers' percentages, you're starting off with the flour being a hundred percent. So if you had, you know, a thousand pounds of flour, you know, that would be hundred percent. If so, if I said you need, it's two percent salinity, or 3% salinity, I would say, okay, so you have 3% of whatever your weight of your dough is, that would be your salinity. Uh, and same thing with hydration, and same thing with yeast. So when they're you saying know, 70% hydration, break
0: it down for someone who, who's, who's listening to this and so wants to make 70%
1: dough. 70% hydration means for every every kilo, for every thousand grams of water, uh, flour, you would have 700 grams of water. Got it. So seventh, your final dough would be seventeen hundred. Uh, uh, the weight would be seventeen hundred plus your. Uh, it would, it's really minuscule the amount of yeast. Right. I mean, my I don't I don't have a, I have a little bit more than a half a point of yeast. Yeah, it's not a huge percentage dough. of the because it's, it's it's low it's low um, it's long fermented. So the difference between that type of uh, amount of yeast in the dough. And commercial doughs is that commercial dough, they'll blow up a loaf of white bread. I mean, they'll probably blow it up in about three hours in a factory. Right. You know, that's why you're feeling full in your stomach. Whereas these these doughs that have this low yeast in them, you, you can eat a little bit more because you don't have that yeast in your belly. Right. It gives you a better feeling. That's why they say
0: um, like it gives you like you could eat a whole pizza and not feel like full. Right.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Now, what's your hydration of your, your pizza? 64. Okay.
1: So I'm lower than the Neapolitans and I'm higher than the uh, Americans. Is it like a wet? Like, if you
0: get it out of the trade, does it feel like wet?
1: Now, 64 is pretty manageable, yeah. to tell you the truth. You know, uh, once you can start going over 70, like 72% would be a baguette, a classic baguette. It'd okay. Be, that's a kind of a wet dough. Um, a lot of the Neapolitan guys, they're up to an 80%. Um, which I happen to love that type of dough. I I, I really enjoy it. I when I work, uh, when I make pizza at home, I do go eighty percent, and sometimes I'll go to you know eighty five, ninety percent. I like to work with high hydrated doughs, but the reality is those high hydrated doughs won't deliver. You can't put it in a box, close it, and put it in a pizza bag. Put it on a guy's front of his bicycle and expect it to be of any decent product. Because that water is going to be steam. And by the time you open up that box 10 minutes later, it's going to be like a wet napkin.
0: Yeah. So so you're saying the, the higher the hydration is more geared towards dining or if you're going to make pizza at home. Absolutely. Do you Absolutely. have
1: a That's pizza? Right. Most, oh. of the, most of the Neapolitan guys don't deliver.
0: Yeah, you're right. And I've, I've seen that. Well, they have to now, right? Like a lot of them are trying to figure that out now because they've had to maneuver through this. But um, do you have a pizza oven at your house?
1: Uh, No. no. You don't have a pizza oven at your house? No, no, we were going to build one. We were going to build one last year, and uh, we ne- we didn't. Um, I happen to love to grill pizza. Yeah, I do too. Um, I, I when I grill pizza, uh, I tell people to put in thirty three percent of the fl- total flour weight should be whole wheat, because the toasted whole wheat on the grill is amazing, and it gets a lot crispier.
0: Now, how do you? So, when you gr- as I grill pizza at home too? Do you grill the dough first and then? top it or do you do it all in one
1: combo no 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 you have to you grill one side first yep you flip it and then you add your toppings but the the the, the most important thing when you do grilled pizza you have to shred all your cheeses and i would i'd always like to add a little softer cheese in it whether it be a telegio or something like that something that's going to melt real quick uh bel pais even you know yeah. uh because you don't have a lot of time. Yeah, like okay. the bottom will burn before the top cooks, yeah, do, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then because it, you have to put it in a very thin and then I put a little dollops of sauce on top of that. Yeah. And any ingredient, like if you wanted to put super asado or stuff like that, you would you should cook it a little before.
0: They have a lot of these new like uni ovens or rock boxes that like are gas powered, but they cook pretty quick, I've heard of.
1: Actually, be honest with you, Uni gave me a gift of one of them. Did you use it? i have not used it okay just i give a shout out to uni because they i actually i actually bought
0: one I'm, I'm waiting for it because i wanted to try yeah, some no, pizza at home yeah. and uh people suggested that was a pretty good
1: one yeah 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 well, the, well yeah, no i i have it it's, it's in the uh it's unfortunately it's in my brooklyn bridge park location and i haven't been there i just haven't been in the park let me know if
0: you find a good recipe to use in that so i can check it out myself absolutely off here. Uh, Michael, it was great talking to you. Where can people go follow you or if they have a follow-up question or if they want to ask you something? I know you're a pretty uh, awesome, generous guy with your time and you're always willing to help people out. So where can they
1: go find you online? Very good. Oh, they can find me at uh, Michael@fornino.com. Okay, and your website, Fornino, fornino.com,
0: right? And then uh, o.com. Yeah, we'll link it up in the show notes as well. And uh, all your social platforms are the same as well. Michael, thank you so much. Don't hang up, but thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It was awesome talking to you.
1: My pleasure. Thanks, Bruce. All
0: right. Thank you, Michael, for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for listening at home. If you missed anything or you want to go check out Michael's website or Instagram or Facebook, for that matter, head over to smartpizzamarketing.com, type in Fornino in the search bar, and this episode will come up. This is episode number 286 of the show. And listen, if you're looking to get started with your marketing once this all settles down, or you want to maintain the sales that you have now as everybody else starts to open up and the competition starts to become a little bit more fierce, but you're not exactly sure where to start, check out our mastermind group. We meet twice a month, private Facebook group, access to all of our tutorials, all of our summit classes, everything you get as part of being a member of our mastermind group. No selling in there, we don't pitch you on anything, we don't have any bot courses, it's all just free valuable information to help you maneuver through this and maneuver through the future and really network with other entrepreneurs, business owners in your area of expertise and also ask me any question about marketing and we help you along the way. So if that sounds like something you wanna be a part of, smartpizzamarketing.com forward slash mastermind is how you get information about that and also check out our LinkedIn, podcast that we did last week. If you are looking to grow catering sales, a lot of questions I got about LinkedIn in the podcast we did on our local business podcast, separate from this one, the local business podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, go listen to that LinkedIn podcast. John Nemo, who joins me on that show, talks a lot about how you can build sales using LinkedIn and not creating a ton of content like you think about So go check out that podcast we did last week if you're listening to this episode right now. If you have a question, you can join me Monday, Wednesday, and Friday every morning. Well, not every morning. Every Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern time, I'm going live on Facebook. If you have some social media that you want us to audit and kind of go over and give you some tips on some things that I would suggest you do on your social media to make it better and improve it, shoot me an email, bruce at smartpizzamarketing.com. We're taking a few people for those Monday, Wednesday, Friday and if you haven't yet, go join us. Come hang out with us. Grab a cup of coffee if you're making dough or you're at the gym. Well, you can't be at the gym right now, actually. So if you're going for your walk instead of going to the gym or you're in the, in the shop early making dough or getting everything prepped up, hop on Facebook Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern time. Join me live. Talk a little news, a little updates, and a little bit of social media tips and strategies to move your business forward. All right, like I mentioned, bruce at smartpizzamarketing.com is my email if you have a question. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I appreciate you and we'll see you next week on the SPM show.